Hey everybody and welcome to the first episode of the Black Autumn Coffee Podcast. In this podcast, we will be discussing what sets specialty coffee in third wave shops apart from everything else. We will be also be covering topics ranging from growing coffee to green buying to roasting to brewing. We will also have many dedicated episodes to brewing techniques and also covering controversial topics and ideas inside the coffee industry. We hope you'll join us for the ride. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Black Autumn Coffee Podcast. And today, our topic is going to be over what elevates the specialty coffee experience, meaning why specialty coffee is truly different and why it is a new thing in this world that is going to be the future of coffee and cafes. So before we start the episode and get into our topic here, today we are drinking a coffee from Brandywine. It is a new processing type that I've never heard of. It's called Static Cherry, the Ruben Vieira from the Panama Creativa Coffee District. Um, Very, very interesting coffee. So the process is Static Cherry, like I said. I did a little bit of research last night to try and figure out what that was. And it's basically an anaerobic. They'll put the coffee in the anaerobic tanks and then put cherries in there as well. So it gives a very, very tart flavor from the cherries. Now, you think it might give like a sweet almost from the cherries and the juice that it has. But it actually brings out a lot more of the tart juice in the cherry and tastes really good. The tasting notes that are on the bag are berry compote, blood orange, and hibiscus. And it's a very pleasant aftertaste in my opinion. Um, very, very, very blood orange in an aftertaste, but it's very pleasant mouthfeel. I enjoyed it a lot. So that's the coffee for today from Brandywine Coffee Roasters, which I've been enjoying lately. They've had some crazy, crazy stuff coming out lately that I have thoroughly loved. They have been amazing. So let's hop into our topic here. First of all, what is specialty coffee, also known as a third wave coffee? Um, and specialty coffee basically is any coffee that achieved an 80 plus by Q graders. That's the definition of specialty coffee if you were to go on Google and look it up. And basically, dumbed down in that specialty coffee is very high quality coffee focused on the quality from bean to cup. Meaning it's very, very, very high quality because people have put time and effort from harvesting all the way to brewing. So that includes everything in between. So harvesting it, roasting it, brewing it, it has put much care towards it and love, and you can just taste that when it comes out into the cup. So first on the list, the aesthetics of a shop are the first thing that I think elevates the specialty coffee experience. So the aesthetics and the design of a shop are literally the first thing you see when walking into a shop. And usually a third wave shop succeed with interior design because they design it as a comfortable place for people to come in, grab a coffee, and work for a few hours. I mean, think about it. Why would you want to go sit in a place that is run down and ugly inside and it just smells bad, there's trash everywhere? Why would you want to go to one of those places? You wouldn't. You'd rather go to a nice comfy place made to replicate the comfort of your home so you can sit inside and feel comfortable doing your work that's in there or having your meetings or whatever it is. Um, and there's a, the reason a lot of shops are successful is because of this home type comfort they replicate inside the store because there's nothing better than going to a shop to do your work or have your meetings or meet your friend or talk or just go and sit down by yourself and chillax and have a cup of coffee. Um, whilst you're sitting down and getting your work done, you have baristas that are pulling shots, making drinks and maybe making your drink and pouring latte art and conversating with them, it's just so nice to be able to go into a home comfort-like cafe, sit down, and enjoy some coffee. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than being able to watch someone make your drink right in front of you with fresh coffee, 
good quality milk and amazing milk texture, which is key. We'll have some episodes on some milk texture and latte art later, but that is key when drinking coffee is tasting the milk texture. And that's a key to seeing a good barista is if they can texture the milk good and get some good latte art out. Along with the topic of aesthetics and interior design, a lot of shops have retail shelves where they sell merch along with coffee, and a lot of places even have brewing accessories. So all you have to do is pick the coffee you want, grab the brewing accessories you need to brew, and you're good to make the coffee you love at the quality and comfort of your own home. So imagine these places that you're going to, and you love going there because their coffee's good. And let's say it's a 45-minute drive to get there. That's a long way just for coffee. So what if... You could grab that coffee from there and brew it at your home, and it's the same quality that you get at the actual shop. And these shops that have the brewing accessories, it's a win-win situation for you and the company that you're buying them from because the company can sell the coffee that you love to drink at the shop as well as selling you brewing accessories so they can make more money and you can buy coffee and brew it all at home. A lot of these places too, like if you don't know how to brew, they're very open to tell you how to brew. A lot of these places as well as having brewing accessories, have lots of books and things you can go to to reference and learn more about coffee. I have a book sitting right in front of me here called How to Make Coffee, and it's how to make coffee at home. It tells you every different technique of how to brew coffee, from espresso to pour-overs to drip coffee to mocha pots to everything. It will explain every single thing in here, and it explains the science behind the bean. I would highly recommend, if you don't know how to brew coffee at home and you want to learn, grab a book like this and grab some coffee. Grab a V60 and a dripper and a scale. And as long as you have the coffee and some way to grind it, that's all you need. It sounds like a lot, but realistically, you're not even spending 500 bucks. You're spending like maybe $200. You just get a hand grinder. That's what I started with. Hand grind the coffee down, put it in the V60 because freshly grinded coffee makes a huge difference when brewing at home. And there's a lot more. You can dive so far into home brewing. Like There's home espresso machines at a good price you can get. There's the flare espressos that are really good for home espresso. Um, grinders are very cheap, thanks to Fellow. Fellow's making some amazing flat burr grinders that you can use at home for espresso. Actually, I wouldn't recommend using a flat burr grinder for espresso, but they have conical ones. Um, the new Opus just came out, and it's probably it's supposedly perfect for espresso and pour-overs. It does everything. A single-dose grinder, it's amazing, as so I've heard. I use the Ogen 2 at my house, and for pour-overs and aeropresses that I make, it turns out fantastic. I couldn't be happier making a purchase on a grinder. Um, but home brewing is something that I would definitely highly recommend you getting into. There's so much to learn that you'll never be able to be like, I know everything about this. There's no cap to knowing everything that there is about home brewing. It's always changing and you're always learning. The roaster being positioned in the cafe gives customers and tourists the experience of seeing the shop's coffee being roasted right there in front of them. This also helps sales as people will want to buy the coffee the shop is offering because they see it being roasted right there and know that it's high quality and freshly roasted beans. I promise you, if you were to not have the roaster in the cafe or available to the, for somebody to be able to see it when they come in the cafe, you're not going to sell as many beans because they're going to be like, okay, these aren't fresh. This was probably roasted a long time ago. And I don't even know if they're roasted here. They could have been roasted five states over and then shipped over here. But the fact that people can see, oh my gosh, the coffee that I'm buying from this place was right here a few days ago. And if people are regulars that come in, they can be like, oh my gosh, literally right here. 
I'm watching them roast. If I come back in three days or four days, I might be drinking the coffee that they're roasting right now. It's such an experience. They will love to come back because of it. I mean, think about it. If you go to a place and you see them using fresh ingredients and making it right in front of you, you're going to want to come back again because you know that that quality is authentic and it's not fake and there's no processing. There's no anything that's added to it that's not good for you. It's, It's fresh, high quality coffee that elevates the experience. Because having that roaster in the cafe really elevates the experience. But high-quality sourced green coffee elevates it even more. I am just now entering the world of roasting at my home, and it's an endless journey of knowledge. You will never be able to find a cap on basically anything in coffee. You're always learning. It's always changing. And there are endless amounts of processing types that are just a small puzzle piece in the end quality of a coffee. And we're still expanding and finding more processing types to help out the quality and the taste of coffee. Like I said, I had this uh, static cherry Ruben Vieira today from Brandywine. Never even heard, had no idea that they were doing that in the anaerobic tanks, which is so interesting. But it's it's growing the world of coffee as we know it because we're all going to keep on learning. There's a learning curve every single day now. Now, another shout out to Brandywine because I got another coffee of theirs in today called the Colombia Monte Blanco Mojito Washed. Basically, the processing for that is it's mojito-infused washed. So as far as my understanding, when I researched, they put lime water into the water. So when they wash it, it's washed over with lime water, basically lime juice. And so it's very, very fruity and tart and sour and brings out this characteristic in the coffee that would not be in there unless that lime sugars would weren't there. The lime sugars bring out a sugar and characteristic in the coffee that makes it so good. And you can smell this coffee from a mile away and you can smell the tart, sour limeness from it, but it's so good. And it's not like a super sour lime that's on it. It's a very sweet, almost subtle lime. It is amazing. Like I'm saying, these just keep coming out. I mean, who knows what we're going to have next? I mean, people are drying coffees now with peach skins on them and fruits on top of them to make them fruitier when drying instead of washing them with fruits, which I think is an amazing idea. And it's just going to keep on changing. People are going to come up with new ideas and find different things. It's never going to end. We are always going to have stuff changing. Like I said about the processing types, we're finding more. We're experimenting with them. And what we are finding is elevating the quality and experience because of the taste and the final outcome of the coffee that we have. Roasting is also a very important process to it as well, but these processing types are making it a little bit easier to roast, I find, at least in my opinion. Whilst processing types and roasting are very important and key to a good quality coffee, locations and origins of green coffee sourcing plays a huge key in the final outcome of coffee. Many places are on the rise right now. Currently, uh, coffee is being grown in new and better places, and people are learning how to grow coffee Currently in Southeast Asia and India are on the rise learning how to grow coffee properly and process it and then sell the coffee. I have an India coffee right now that I have yet to try. I just got it in yesterday, but I'm hoping I can try it tomorrow because I am super, super, super stoked to try it. I've never had an Indian coffee, but it's on the rise right now. People are starting to get India coffee. And like I said, Southeast Asia is also popping up. There's a lot of green coffee sources that I've been buying from that are now having a lot of Southeast Asia coffees that are coming up. And they're really good. They have this acidity to them that is amazing. And all these places that you're buying from have different altitudes, have different uh, weather. All this stuff affects the final outcome of a coffee 
in the good run, sometimes in the bad run, but most of the time it's in a really good way. And so these higher altitudes will be fruitier and then the lower altitudes will have more of a chocolatey kind of taste. Whatever it may be, whatever you're buying from and whatever altitude it is, it's gonna have a different taste. It's not all gonna be the same. It's gonna be very hard to find or two coffees from different places that taste the exact same. It's almost impossible. And all of these are very important and key in making high quality good coffee. Roasters also have to be very knowledged on all these things because origin types, processing types, and even varietals of coffee all roast differently in the different profiles as well as temperatures to roast to a good quality. They're all going to be different, not tasting wise like I was just saying, but roasting wise. We don't think about this a lot, but roasting has a huge play on how the coffee comes out. And considering that the roasters have to know all this stuff because roasting a natural coffee and then roasting a washed coffee is completely different. You're not going to roast the natural at the same temperature you're going to roast the washed at. And all the stuff that's coming out now is making it more difficult but also more interesting for roasters because they get to find new ways to change temperatures and when to drop the coffee at and it just makes this insanely good quality coffee that we haven't heard of in a long time and like i said before green coffee and green buying is very very new and it's changing and updating in new ways are coming out it's going to change the specialty coffee world as we know it i would highly recommend diving into the knowledge of processing types buying origins because this will help you in the final outcome of being a barista and be able to converse with customers about your coffee and exactly what flavors of it bring out and why. People are always going to have questions like, hey, what's on your espresso one? Where is it from? You know, what are the tasting notes? It's good for you to be able to know why, like why an Ethiopian is fruity. Like there's a lot of reasons that it is. And so you can explain to customers what's the altitude. And so not only do we want to be knowledge just to have the knowledge, but a lot of people want to be knowledge to pass on that knowledge and share it to others. Because this coffee community isn't going to grow and people aren't going to accept it unless they know why. We can't just be like, yep, we buy this coffee. It's $700 a pound. Um, and that's just because of the processing type. We don't explain the processing type and how it affects the taste of the coffee. People are just going to be like, oh, processing type, cool, don't care. As long as it tastes good, I'm fine. But if, when you start explaining to them, hey, this one actually, they put it in an anaerobic tank, which cuts off oxygen, so it doesn't have any oxygen. Yeast is sometimes put into it. And then this specific coffee, they put cherries in the tank. And so that's why you're getting these tart notes. And then people are like, wow. This is crazy. It's a whole other experience when drinking this coffee now, knowing what it was processed like and how that affects the final outcome of the coffee. I knew I tasted that tart. I just didn't know how. So now that the barista or the customer or whoever has explained to you, you have more of a thrive and want to know, oh, wow, if there's cherries in the tanks, what else can you do? And then experimentation comes about and we find more and more things that we can change in processing types. And roasting is the biggest key in high quality coffee because without roasting, we wouldn't even have coffee to brew and serve. Going back to the point of roasters needing to know this stuff and changing how they roast because it's gonna be different every time, no matter process type. And without these roasters that have a drive and want to know all this, we wouldn't have any coffee. We can't just brew green coffee. The grinders will not like that. And nobody's going to like it, to be honest with you. It's not good at all. But yeah, that's basically it for the roasting and green buying side. Now we're going to move on to more of the opposite side. And the next characteristic 
that elevates the specialty coffee experience are the brewing methods used to serve coffee at places. The most common brewing method found in specialty coffee is espresso. I'm sure everybody listening knows what espresso is because the most popular drinks in specialty coffee are used with espresso drinks, also known as cortados, cappuccinos, lattes, specialty flavored lattes, etc. Espresso roasts are usually darker as it brings out more strong flavors in the espresso, creating a better taste. More recently, I've had a Mount Kilimanjaro Estate coffee on espresso. Very, very good coffee. I've never had anything like it. It's a little bit darker than what I've had, but it is amazing. It brings out so much more of the flavor on espresso. You can taste like cinnamon forward, very chocolatey. It almost smells like burnt M&Ms, which sounds really weird, but then when you taste it, you taste a milk chocolatey mouthfeel, and it is so, so good. If you are having light roast on espresso, Good for you, but I would recommend swapping it up. Try a dark roast because this is the first time I've swapped it up really and tried a darker roast, and I love it even more than the lighter roasts. I thought I was a light roast espresso kind of guy, but I don't think I am. I think I might be a little bit of a medium to medium dark espresso kind of guy after this. It brings out so much more in the coffee. I would just drink double shots every day. Like I don't even care about cortados anymore or cappuccinos. I'm just going to stick with double shots as long as we have this Rwanda and Tanzanian coffee. They're really, really, really good. And usually specialty coffee shops will have two espresso roasts available. Typically, the number one espresso will be used for lattes and anything that has significantly higher milk to espresso ratio. Um, And the espresso one will usually be more chocolatey based. So like I was saying, the espresso one that I was just talking about, the Mount Kilimanjaro, is more milk chocolatey and cinnamon forward. So it has a bit of sweeter. So it pairs with milk very, very, very well. So it's most likely going to be used for your drinks that have more ratio of milk to espresso in it, just because that greater amount of milk will bring out some of those flavors in the milk chocolate and the cinnamon and the sweetness and sugars. It will help bring it out a little bit more. And so usually those are recommended to do for espresso one. And the espresso two, on the other hand, is usually used for double shots of espresso, cortados, cappuccinos, and anything that has an equal or almost equal to milk to espresso ratio. So obviously cappuccinos have a greater milk to espresso ratio, but those usually are used with espresso one just because, or espresso two, sorry. The cappuccinos are usually used as espresso two just because there's a little bit more milk. And so it brings out more of those sweet fruity flavors that are in espresso two. Like I just said, espresso two coffees are usually fruitier and brighter based coffees that are really good. We have one right now that I am in love with. It tastes like cranberries. One of the notes on the bag is orange sorbet. It is amazing. I'm highly in love with it and love drinking double shots of it in the morning. It's a perfect way to start the day. On the next brewing method, besides espresso, that's most popularly found in specialty coffee is drip coffee. This is your standard black coffee, usually batch brewed and kept in a Cambro, and served fresh when you order it. Um, in drip recipes, you can find some that aren't dialed in correctly, but If they're dialed in good, drip can be really good. But like I said, on the opposing side, if drip coffee is not dialed in, doesn't have a good recipe, it can be a pretty upsetting cup of coffee and be like, man, I never want to go back here because this cup of coffee was really bad. So I find that really dialing in a recipe will make your drip so much better. And if you have a good drip that's dialed in, it is really good. I'm not opposed to having a good drip at all. I'm more of an espresso kind of guy, but I'll I'll go for a good dialed in drip any day of the week. 
The next brewing method, which is most commonly used in home brewing, but now coming into a lot of shops, is pour-overs. This includes V60s, origamis, torches, Kalita Waves, Chemexes. The list goes on right now. Drippers are being made like crazy, and people are finding new ways and designs to put on these drippers that will help with the flavor and bringing out a lot of the flavors in the coffee. Um, usually pour-overs are made using a filter and pouring hot water over the coffee in the filter. It's one of my favorite ways to fix coffee. I mentioned the torch a second ago as one of the drippers. It uses Kalita Wave filters, and it's like a smaller Kalita Wave almost. It doesn't have any ridges on it. It's all ceramic, but it's really good. Holds heat very well, and it's very small or size. I love a smaller size pour-over. I don't like a huge 400-gram pour-over. This one is 20 grams in or 15 grams in and 200 out. And it is so good. It fits in one of, my, one of my little cups. I love it so much. And it just it brings out a lot more acidity and strongness in the coffee. And so you can taste a lot more of the coffee for what it really is. I would highly recommend checking the torches out and trying them if you want to. But this method of pour-overs is what I usually use at home. In the same way as drip, a dialed-in pour-over recipe can be very good. But not dialed-in pour-over can be very disappointing. And nowadays, a lot of shops are reverting to steady pours, which are basically automatic pour-overs, which require a lot more skill being able to dial in. The same way as drip, yet again, a not dialed-in steady pour can be very bad and bitter. It's, it's sad to see some of these shops going to steady pours because I love the craft of hand-making a V60 pour-over for somebody, and they're sitting there watching you make it, asking you questions. It, it gets a lot of conversations going. A lot of people will be sitting at the bar when I'm making pour-overs, and come up and talk to me and i love talking to the customers about the coffee we're using coffee that i've recently had coffee they've recently had and then, and then basically switching info with them and be like you should try this okay yeah well you should try this and getting new coffee places that's how the coffee is growing and i want everybody to know this too just so we can all have the same amount of like knowledge going into the future of the podcast but all coffee shops they don't work against each other coffee shops work together and it's not it's a community of hey, we're all basically in the same field. We're just producing different things. So let's not be enemies, but let's be friends. And so a lot of these coffee shops will be like following on Instagram, other coffee shops. It's a very cool community to be in. And I would highly recommend checking out the coffee and going deep into the knowledge of coffee because there's so much you can learn, as I've been saying. And it's just struck me like a lightning strike one day. And I have not stopped learning since day one that I've gotten into coffee. Every day I learn something different. And I would 100% recommend you try it. I'd love to have you in. Any questions you may have, I'll put my Instagram down in the description of this episode just so you guys can have it if you have any questions just now going into coffee or if you have any recommendations for the podcast for me to talk about. Anything, I'll leave that in the description for you guys um, because I want to help you guys grow your knowledge and I want you guys to help me grow my knowledge. So if I say something wrong or you want to correct me on something, please let me know. I'd love to know what I'm doing wrong just so I can correct it and have the right answer in the future. Anyways, another brewing method that I'm just starting to use at home is AeroPress. Now, AeroPress is very different from pour-over. It's like a pour-over, but espresso form. Um, It's almost like they had a baby. And AeroPress is usually made by taking your filter and screen, placing the filter over it, and then putting coffee in one of the tubes, letting it set with water and stir for a little bit, and then place the top on and push out at a steady force. It brings out a much stronger and brighter cup of coffee. And Fellow has attachment that I've been using that makes the filter very fine so you can get more strong, almost espresso-like cup of coffee at home. Now, considering I don't have an espresso machine, it's nice to have this attachment because it really pulls the best espresso that I can get at home without having an espresso machine. 
and I'm fine to drink it. It tastes perfectly fine. Now, yeah, it does require a little bit of dialing in, get the right grind size, but it's really freaking good. I love it. And for brewing methods, that's all that I have. There's a lot of new brewing methods that are coming out and people are experimenting with. But for now, that's the main ones that you're going to see in a specialty coffee shop. The last factor that I think plays a huge part in specialty coffee experience and quality of the coffee is the ingredients, as well as homemade syrups, which lots of shops now are sourcing fresh ingredients in order to make anything they can on their own. So they don't have to rely on third-party sources to order them from. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of work and more labor involved in making your own stuff. But I think the quality is much higher because it's very easy to taste the difference between homemade syrups and homemade chais and stuff than bottle syrups and bottle chais that were bought from a supplier. Now that all the puzzle pieces that I wanted to mention have been said, let's go back through. So if a coffee shop is roasting your coffee and sourcing the green coffee from a good farm, roasting it the right way and brewing it correctly, it can be a very good very strong good cup of coffee as long as they're prepping the espresso right as long as they steam good quality milk and they can steam good and the cherry on top is the homemade syrups to make a perfectly delicious handcrafted latte made all from the same place this will create more of a target audience and make people want to come to your shop for a coffee another way to get a good targeted audience is through specialty house lattes meaning basically your own specialty homemade syrup flavors for example imagine if you had a lemon lavender vanilla syrup not a lot of shops, if any, have that syrup. If you were to source the ingredients freshly local, make the syrup, as well as roasting, sourcing, and brewing everything correctly, your specialty house latte with your homemade syrup is going to draw people in and keep people coming back because they can't get your syrup anywhere else. Syrups are the only thing that apply to this. Like I said earlier, chai is a big factor in quality of homemade ingredients. If you're using fresh spices and sugar to make a chai, you can easily tell the difference between a homemade chai and pre-boxed chai. I would highly recommend trying out some recipes to make your own syrups for your drinks. It will make the quality of, and people want to come back to your shop. People will always want to come back if they have one thing that they cannot get anywhere else. And especially if you're making it really good, other places can try and replicate it, but you were the OG and you're going to make it the best way possible and nobody else is going to be able to. So people will always come back for that. So now that all the puzzle pieces mentioned, that is what brings a perfect cup of coffee to your table when you go to a cafe. And also, the aesthetics like we talked about in the first part make the experience absolutely amazing. And that's everything that I believe elevates the specialty coffee experience. Now go to my Instagram and let me know if you guys have any more that you think elevates the coffee experience, or at least for you. I'd love to hear your opinions, see what you guys have. But that's all I have for episode one of the Black Autumn Coffee Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed diving into what elevates the specialty coffee experience and what exactly is specialty coffee. Now tune in for next time where we go more in depth on heat and its importance to coffee. Heat is one of the most important factors in brewing. Without heat, we wouldn't even have coffee. Next time, we'll dive deep into what the true science behind heat reaction to the coffee does and how it affects the taste to make sure. And how it affects the taste. So make sure to tune in, and I'll see you guys in episode two. Have a good day.